Really great to see you and to celebrate together the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a phenomenal day, a phenomenal celebration. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul said, um, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is, this is the sine qua non, the Latin phrase, which means the absolutely most important thing about Christianity. He said, I delivered to you that which is the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul said that as he wrote to the Corinthians. If there is no resurrection, he said, there's no gospel. Gospel is a word that just means good news. If there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no gospel, there's no good news. There's no Christian faith, actually. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christian faith. And there's no life after death. But why is it so important? What does Easter actually mean? What is it all about? And what is your personal response? Because I I, I do want to call you to a personal response today. A personal response from your heart to God. What does it mean and what is your personal response to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What has it got to do with you? What's it got to do with you? Are these things that we're singing about today and celebrating about and clapping about, what has Jesus got to do with you? Tim Keller, who's a a, a retired or semi-retired pastor in New York, preached for many years in Manhattan. He said these words. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept all that he said. But if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? But if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. And this is, of course, it's a big old doctrine. It's a big statement. It's, it's either, either today, it's either the greatest truth or the most fantastical thing you have ever heard. If it's true, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, it demands a response from us, a personal response. But if it's not true, you must dismiss it. You must dismiss Easter. And you must dismiss Christ. And you must dismiss Christianity. There is no halfway house here. Either Jesus did rise from the dead and it demands a personal response from us or he didn't and we are all here for nothing today. This morning I want to challenge you to think about your response to the resurrection. In Jesus' day, just as today, people responded very differently to the resurrected Christ and to the news of his death and his resurrection. I would like to look at at three of the responses that we find in the Bible 
in the scriptures, in some stories in the Bible, I would like to look at three characters and how they responded to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I think that we can find something of ourselves in these individuals, in these people, in these stories of scripture. I think we can see in them some of our feelings, and I hope we can draw those out today, and our reactions in them. First of all, there's the story of Thomas, the doubter. Thomas has become known throughout history as Doubting Thomas. It's not a great kind of thing to have attached to your name, is it? Doubting Thomas. But that's how he has become to be known because he met with the resurrected Jesus. But in the first instance, he, he didn't really believe what had happened. Thomas has had a bad press over the years. And I feel a certain amount of sympathy for him. According to the gospel accounts, and there are, there are four of these, these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the account of Jesus' life and death and, and his resurrection. On the first Sunday of the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus appeared to some women. And he appeared to Peter and to John. And he appeared to a couple walking to the little town of Emmaus and to ten of the apostles, but Thomas missed it all. Thomas missed out all of these appearances of Jesus. And his is the kind of doubt that maybe is in your heart, that springs from hurt and from disappointment. He didn't want to be duped. He had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the the one that was to be sent by God to save humanity. Thomas had been one of those people that had believed that. He had opened himself up to everything that Jesus had to say. And for him, it it had ended in a bitter disappointment and a deep dose of doubt. Thomas was very much of the the school, I'll believe it when I see it. Maybe that's you today. So as the other disciples and the followers of Jesus tell him, Thomas, we have seen the risen Christ. We've seen him. His response is one of considerable skepticism, which I don't think is a response that is dissimilar to many people today. You you may have seen a double. or, Or maybe in your grief you saw an apparition. Maybe his twin, maybe a ghost. Maybe it's a psychological phenomenon of grief that you're experiencing in thinking that you've seen the resurrected Jesus. So I won't believe it, Thomas said. I won't believe it's actually Jesus because I saw him die on the cross. And my hopes and my aspirations for what I thought was the Messiah, the one that would save us, have all gone down the drain. I don't believe it and I won't believe it till I see it. And in fact, I not only won't believe it till I see it, I won't believe it until I can touch the nail prints in his hands, until I can put my fingers there and actually feel this risen Christ that you're telling me you've seen. Thomas wasn't even saying, I won't won't believe it till I see it. He was saying, even that's not enough. He was saying, I won't believe it till I see it, and I touch it, and I feel it. And a week passes by from these explanations of the other people that say they've seen this risen Jesus Christ. And then we have this encounter between Jesus and Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. 
And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, and reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. A week, of, a week of wondering, just imagine Thomas. Imagine him lying in bed at night, just going over these accounts of his friends, people he trusted, people he'd been living with for three years. And they were telling him, that oh, we've seen him, Thomas. Imagine that week of time passing by, the torture in his mind. The, what is going on? What, why are these people saying this? I saw Jesus die. I saw them carry his body away. A week of questioning and remembering, thinking about everything that Jesus had done and while he was alive, mulling over the claims of the others to have seen the resurrected Lord. And this might be you today. You look at others. You look at some of these Christians today, maybe you're watching on, who claim to know Jesus, who claim to follow Jesus with exuberance. You see the excitement in the room and you listen to the songs that these Christians are singing. But you want a little more evidence. And all the time, that's the position that Thomas is in, wrestling with his doubts. I think I understand sometimes doubt and skepticism. I think I have a fairly skeptical nature. If someone calls me from a call center, offering me some great product or service, I invariably do not want to know. If I pick up the phone and I hear a long silence, followed by a click, and a man telling me that his name is Dave, and he's not trying to sell me anything, I have to admit to you that I hung up. I delete unsolicited emails. I don't click on links. I don't read circulars. I don't like cold callers. I'm not on Facebook. I'm skeptical about so-called experts. And I find certain things that are done in the name of Christianity and Christ distasteful and incredible. Literally not believable and sometimes just plain stupid. Sometimes I wrestle with doubts and questions. I have a lot of questions that I want to ask God when I see him. But as the German-born theologian Paul Tillich said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is an element of faith. Or to put it in a slightly more colloquial way for you non-theologians, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. It gets you wriggling and it gets you moving. So Thomas, doubting, skeptical Thomas, finds himself, after a week of thinking and questioning in front of Jesus, he gets to touch the nail prints, and he gets to put his hand in Jesus' side. And seeing the risen Jesus before him, he draws the only conclusion that he can draw. He falls to his knees and he says, you are my Lord, and you are my God. And Jesus' response comes straight to us this morning. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Amen. 
And that's many of us in this room today. We're not physically with our eyes. We have not physically seen the risen Christ. But we have believed in the risen Christ. And he overcomes our doubts and he gifts us faith. Maybe you can understand, Thomas. I think I can. Maybe you are this morning a doubter. And you are skeptical, and you are not sure you believe everyone else's report about Jesus. How will you respond to Jesus? And the challenge that he gives to each one of us to believe, even though you do not physically see him. I think the gift of Jesus and God to Thomas is faith. And I would today, and I wish today, that God would gift you faith. Because even this belief in the risen Christ is a gift. It's a gift from God to each one of us. And I think if we open our hearts, God can give us and overcome that doubt. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, through this belief. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by words so that no one can boast. So, so God can gift you faith today to overcome your doubt. That's one story in the Bible that I I find Thomas, and I think many of us could find ourselves in him today. And if you are one, then I pray for you today that God would gift you faith to believe in the resurrected Christ. And the second person I think of as a story that represents probably many of us is, is is a person called Cleopas. And I think Cleopas is disillusioned There's a story in Luke chapter 24, and Cleopas and an unnamed companion, they're walking to a village called Emmaus, and it's on the resurrection day. And as they're walking, they're discussing everything that's happened. They've been followers of Jesus, this Jesus that has now been crucified. And as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they're talking about things, and Cleopas is disillusioned, disappointed. And Jesus, we read in the story in Luke, begins to walk alongside them. The risen Jesus begins to walk alongside these two people. But they don't recognize him for some reason. Perhaps his appearance has changed somewhat. And Jesus asks them, he says, what are you talking about as you walk along? What what, what are you guys talking about? And it says in verse 17 of Luke chapter 24, they stood still, their faces downcast. You ever felt that? They're kind of downcast, disillusioned, disappointed, maybe uh, let down. They had hoped, in verse 21 we read, they had hoped that they were going to see the one who was going to redeem Israel. They too, they were hoping that this was going to be Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the one that was going to come, the one that the Israelites had been waiting for. And, And so their faces were downcast because they had hoped that he would be the one the one that would save them and redeem them. And, and things had not turned out the way that they had expected. In verses 25 to 27 of Luke chapter 24, Jesus challenges them and their unbelief and their disappointment. And he's, it, we read of that story as he walks alongside them. He begins to explain to them everything that happened in the scriptures, everything that must happen to fulfill the promises and the prophecies about the Messiah. And he It was a Bible study of all Bible studies as Jesus walked them through from the Old Testament right through to 
to uh, the present day and, and everything that must happen and was said about the Messiah, the law and the prophets. And there is sometimes in life, there's a bigger picture and you may not understand it in your life. All you see is your, your, your part, your page, your story. And you know the environments that you have moved in and the experiences that you have had of church and of Jesus Christ. And maybe they have disappointed you. Maybe people in church have disappointed you. Maybe church leaders have mis- dis- disappointed you. Maybe uh, your experience of church has not been a good one and you have left feeling disillusioned and disappointed and downcast. Because once you believed or once you followed or once you walked, walked amongst these people, but now somehow not so much. Maybe along the way, things have not turned out the way that you expected them to. Maybe you are left seeking to understand, and yet you're left with a downcast face and a disillusioned heart. And I think the gift that is given to these people on this day is the gift of revelation. Revelation from Scripture that Jesus opens up to them, revelation from the Bible, and direct revelation, because all of a sudden, as they sit with him, and as they break bread, they recognize him. Their eyes are opened, and in a moment, all of that disillusionment seeps from their hearts. The disappointment, the dejection, the things didn't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out, because in a moment, they're looking into the eyes of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, and in a moment, they re-encounter the risen Christ. The one that they have followed, the one that they have known, the one that they have eaten with previously. And here they sit and break bread with him again. And it can be like that for us, for you, the very moment, this very moment. Jesus knows where you are. Perhaps you're wandering along the road. Perhaps you're disappointed, ejected. Perhaps you're disappointed in church or the things that you've previously experienced. He knows the state of your soul, even in this crowded room and across this nation and throughout the world. He knows the state of your soul. And whatever our state, he still meets us in his own person, framed in the beautiful context of his word, the scriptures. And I think God's gift this morning to the disillusioned is a fresh gift of revelation and hope. And I hope that he will give that to you today. That perhaps again you would see him afresh, the risen Christ. Look him in the eyes. See his love for you. And know that he knows the state of your soul wherever you are and however far you have wandered. I think there are those amongst us today and within earshot of these words that would associate with clear pass, disillusioned, somewhat dejected, downcast. And there's room for you today. And I think God's gift to you that I would pray for you is is the the gift of revelation, the gift of opening your heart and seeing afresh the love of Jesus for you. And one final character, one final story in the Bible, another character that we might find ourselves in, see ourselves in, in a response to the resurrection because you remember I said at the start that if this is true it demands a response if it's not you can dismiss it out of hand you can dismiss Christianity out of hand you can dismiss faith out of hand because if the resurrection doesn't stand then Christianity doesn't stand but if it is true it demands a response 
And the third person that I think many of us would find ourselves in is Peter the denier. Peter the denier. In John 21, we read of a, a, a story where Jesus comes, the resurrected Christ comes, and he makes a fire of charcoal on the beach on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the men are fishing, and Peter is there also. And the charcoal fire is reminiscent of the charcoal fire that Peter stood in front of in the courtyard of the high priest as he denied Jesus three times because this, the people around, Jesus, around Peter as he stood there waiting for Jesus to be judged and executed said, weren't you one of them? Aren't you a Galilean? Isn't that accent? Aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And, and, and previously Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows, you're going to deny that you ever knew me. And, and Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll, I'll always follow you. I'll follow you to death. I'll, I'll never let you down, God. And maybe some of us have made those kind of promises. I'll always follow you. I'll always, I'll always be right behind you, God. I'll never let you down. And, and Peter had made those heartfelt promises, and yet he had found in a moment of fear, in a moment of failure, he had found that in front of a charcoal fire, he denied Jesus just as Jesus said he would. And we find in John chapter 21, Jesus coming back to Peter, the denier, Peter, the failure, Peter, the one that had messed up, the one that had walked away, the one that had run away from Jesus. And he asked him a question to restore him. And he asked him three times to match each of the three denials. And each time Jesus said, Peter, do you, do you love me? And Jesus, as he's walking with Peter, this diehard follower who'd let him down so badly, said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter couldn't quite match up to the expectations or that, the language that Jesus used. But he said, Lord, you know that I love you, that I'm fond of you. But Jesus commissioned him and he said, I, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to look after my lambs. I want you to be a leader, Peter, again. I want you to follow me. And on those shores of the Sea of Galilee, taking Peter right back to the start of when Jesus first called him and said, Peter, follow me. And in those early days when he'd had so much joy and so much kind of youthful fervor, he finds himself older, a little bit wiser, having walked through the fires of failure and hearing the words coming out of Jesus' mouth again, follow me. And I think many of us could associate with Peter because perhaps those early years that we felt that we were following Jesus and said, I'll follow you all the days of my life. And we were at that youth camp and we were, we were there with our Bibles and we were saying, we'll follow Jesus. And then life happens and failure comes and disillusionment creeps in. And this is what happened to Peter. And Peter had said in Luke chapter 12, verse 9, but whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And Peter denied Jesus before men. His just desert would be perdition, to be disowned in heaven. But Jesus' answer and response to Peter is one of forgiveness and grace. Have you ever turned your back on God? Have you ever wandered away from the faith of your childhood or your youth? 
Life happened, things drifted, a vibrant faith in Jesus feels like a distant memory. Perhaps you can find yourself in Peter's camp. Peter the denier. You deny me and I will deny you, Jesus says. And then he breaks his own rules as he offers grace and forgiveness and a new start for Peter. And the words that he has spoken to Peter before in the early days, in the heady days, follow me. He now repeats. He now reiterates. Well, we just got back from our holiday. We went to France for a week. And some of you in this church will remember a story I once told about getting lost in France and losing a map. And it's become a bit of a legend in this church, probably because I've just repeated it ad nauseum, and you're all sick to death of it. Well, I can't tell stories like that anymore because we don't use paper maps anymore because we use a sat-nav. And so as I drove through the Ardèche region of France and we tried last night to find the airport in Marseille, uh, our sat-nav stopped working. (laughs) We were driving around the French countryside thinking, oh dear, (laughs) we're going to miss our plane and we're going to miss the Easter service and it's not good, but we, we... the sat-nav clicked in, and what a sat-nav will do, even when you've lost your way, it will find where you are, and it will start there, and it will say, recalculating route. And then, very kindly, it will take you back to where you need to go. <laughs> what is on offer here is the grace of God to those who've taken a wrong turn. It's the ability of God to forgive and give a fresh start. Amen. Even when you've denied him, when you've turned your back on him, and everything you know and deep down believe. God's gift to the failing and the faltering, I believe, is grace and redemption. And I think that's on offer to anyone and everyone here today. As the girls said at the start of our service, when they got their ease sorted out, (laughs) is that this is for everyone. This is for everyone. There's no one exempt. And God's gift today, I think, to those of us who are failing and faltering is grace and a second chance. Jesus walks us past our failures and all of a sudden there's bread and there's fish and there's a fire. And the words come again, this time with greater strength and less naivety on the part of Peter with more texture and grounded and a deeper reality. Follow me. Maybe when we started out, we were full of youthful excitement and vigor and faith. I will never leave you, Jesus. I will never not follow you. I will give my life for you. And then we get hit for six by death and disillusionment and our own weaknesses and failings. And we walk and we wonder and we run in the opposite direction. But Jesus, the risen Jesus, having conquered sin and death, comes to us after our denials and our wanderings. After it all, he comes to us and he looks at us and he asks us if we love him. And deep down we know that we still love God. And we really do love God. And though we have been mad at him for a while, he calls us again, follow me. This was the cry of the prophet Hosea to a wayward people. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. The resurrection of Jesus that we're talking about and singing about today and telling the children about is a meaty, massive, momentous doctrine. 
It's at the very, very heart of Christianity. John Stott said Christianity is at heart a resurrection religion. The resurrection is also personal to you and to me. In the three characters of Thomas, doubting Thomas, disillusioned Cleopas, and denying Peter, we see direct responses to the resurrection of Jesus from someone who's full of doubt, someone who feels dejected and disillusioned, to someone who has denied Jesus. All of them were radically changed following an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is that you will experience the same. That if you need a gift of faith, that God will give that to you today. Because it is a gift. If you need your doubts overcoming, that God will give you belief and faith in your heart. That God will give you revelation of himself afresh if you are disillusioned and feeling lost. And far from the faith of your youth. And for those who have wondered that God will gift this morning the gift of grace and the gift of redemption. And we can together, each one of us, celebrate the resurrected Christ. I'm going to read you a verse as I close that I read out at the start of our service today because this is the ultimate truth of your response. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10. If you this morning will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Can I ask you this morning, what will be your response to the risen Christ? Let's pray together. I'm going to lead you through a prayer, and I'm going to lead you through a prayer for each of those things. If if you're someone this morning that feels that you need the gift of faith, then you can ask God for that. Just ask him. Give him your doubts. Give him the emptiness of your heart, and say, God, please gift me faith, belief. If you're feeling this morning disillusioned, dejected, downcast, ask for that gift of, of hope. And if you feel lost and far from God, ask for that gift of grace for a second start. Lord Jesus, and pray this in your heart, the bits that are relevant to you. I pray today to the risen Christ. I want to meet you afresh. I pray today in my doubt and in my unbelief and in my watching on that you will give me the gift of faith. That you'll put faith in my heart to believe and to encounter the risen Jesus. That I would be one of those that you spoke of to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I pray that you will give me today the gift of faith that I might believe and follow you. And for those of us who are dejected, disillusioned, downcast. I pray today, Lord, for the gift of revelation that I might see you, Jesus. 
that you would open my eyes, the eyes of my heart, to see you, the risen Jesus, to see you in reality. I pray that you would fill and flood my heart with hope. Or for those of us who feel like we have wandered and lost our way and denied Jesus, maybe you would say with me today, Lord, I pray for your grace. I pray for your forgiveness. I pray for your redemption. I pray for a second chance, a new beginning. I do love you and I want to follow you. So Lord, I pray, I pray for everyone today for whom this Easter message is. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to respond to the risen Jesus Christ. As Paul said, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, we have no gospel, we have no message, we have no faith, we have no hope. But if you have risen from the dead, you, it changes everything. And God, I pray that you will evoke in each one of us this morning a heartfelt response to the risen Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are alive and that you are at the right hand of the Father and that even now you are praying for us and interceding for us. Thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and grace. Amen. Amen.